Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast, where you will always hear a good story to build your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. If you listened to our last episode, I know you're eager to hear the rest of Becky Keenan's story. Becky is the mother of two and co-pastors Gulf Meadows Church in Houston, Texas with her husband, Joe. After leaving behind all her dreams to embrace God's plan, she has had a front row seat to see and experience the wonder-working power of our God. Isaiah 58 verses 7 through 9 says, Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. You'll hear living proof in this episode that God is true to his word. So let's get back to Becky's story. You were fully committed to God's call, not looking to be married, but then a suddenly of God happened. <laughs> and tell us about your courtship and your marriage. Well, I was very happy there and I thought I was going to spend my whole life there, to tell you the truth. Mexico is a very big place, so I could have spent my whole life there. Because uh, they gave us little breaks. I came to Houston on one of those little, you know, breaks, like a tiny little furlough. Uh And uh, there were special meetings. And there was this brother that was our supervisor. Um, We had no romantic anything with anybody, honestly and sincerely. We were so engaged and full of the Lord. There's no time for, for anything. I remember before we had revival meetings that he had called there was a one telephone in the neighborhood that you would go and wait and then they would call again because they called once to send a little kid to get you and then the phone call. And this brother had called to choose what movie we would see during our convention because showing a movie like a thousand people would show up. It was just amazing. And I remember till this day, I said, Raul Reese, it was a movie about this guy. He had a gym and he got saved and Fury to Freedom, I think it was called. The older people will remember, (laughs) but it was a great evangelistic uh, movie. So we're talking about that. I mean, this was like, yes, brother, no brother. But all I can tell you is I felt a little joy in my heart. That's all. Like a little joy when I heard his voice, but nothing else because I didn't even like him. I couldn't stand him, honestly. And that's a separate (laughs) testimony because he had... He was my supervisor and there had been some misunderstanding before and I just thought he had said something about me. He thought I had said something about him. Neither of us did. And so we did not like each other a lot uh, for about a year, Uh including that phone call. So Uh me feeling that little trickle of joy was very unusual. Anyway, we had the meetings. They came. It was great. I went, came back to Houston And one night I couldn't sleep and uh, there are very strict rules in the missionary home, but I came down after prayer to get a little bit of hot milk with sugar. Now, I don't know if that's a Hispanic thing or a a universal belief that universal, yeah, you go to sleep, you know, it makes (laughs) you sleepy. So I went down to do that. And then I I was almost, you know, uh, on my side where I should have been when I heard this, you know, voice uh, say, Sister Becky, and because I was always getting in trouble, I thought, see, here I go again, I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) 
and I just said to him, I'm going to bed. I'm, you know, I'm done. You know, I'm over here. And he said, no, I I wanted to talk to you. And he started, you know, like he humming and being like a little, uh, you know, nervous, uh, 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 you know, doing that. And I thought how odd of this man, this brother, you know, and then he said that, um, he had spoken to the elders because he had special feelings for me. And when he said that, I mean, I, I could tell you that milk almost curdled in my hand in the glass. Wow. And I said to him, well, you know that if you have special feelings, you're not allowed to be here. He said, I know I'm leaving tomorrow at 6 a.m. back to Chicago. He said, but before I leave, I want to ask you a question. And I said, what is it? I was completely embarrassed. Just like, why is he having this conversation that I deemed inappropriate with me? And he said, well, I want to ask you if you will marry me. He asked you to marry him when you didn't even like, no date, no anything. Oh, no, no, no. And I just looked down to the floor and I just said, yes, I will. And then he said, praise the Lord. And I said, praise the Lord. And he went his way and I went mine. Next morning when we woke up for early prayer, he was gone. What uh, were you thinking about after that, after you said yes? I mean, did were you shocked honestly, that came out of your mouth? I guess, but I have no recollection. I think I went to sleep. Wow. <laughs> I think I went to bed. You didn't realize what you had done? (laughs) Yes. I mean, I was an adult, but yeah. yeah. And uh, then after that, well, of course, um, I came two weeks before we got married. That's when we actually, quote, you know, went out and had a special lunch. He was uh, given permission to pick me up at the airport alone and to uh, have uh, lunch with me. And yes. Did feelings grow for him over that time? Well, we talked on the phone. We talked Uh on the phone at that time. By then I had gone to Florida to be with my parents. So he called and we talked and and that sort of thing. And that time for the younger folk that might be listening to this, uh, doing a long distance phone call was very expensive. So the later it was at night, the less expensive it was. So we spoke late at night for some minutes, you know, and... You had to be careful. It wasn't too long because your bill would just blow up. It's not like it is now at all. Young people, I mean, and WhatsApp, and now you can call internationally and it's free. But at that time, yeah. So it was all phone phone calls and stuff like that. Two weeks before the wedding, I came, stayed in a different home. My parents came a week before and they, you know, they got to gel and know him and, you know, talk and whatnot. He did formally call my dad and ask for my hand. When I called my mother to tell her that I was going to get married. She put my dad on the other line and she said, Oh, oh, daddy, get on the phone. They're sending her to India. And I said, no, I'm not being sent to India. (laughs) And she, she said, well, if it's not that, are you getting married? And I thought, how would you know? So seven years before that, they had gone to a church convention and this young man who was a new in the ministry at that time had picked them up. That's what you did when you were new, you served. Yeah. So his job during the convention was to pick people up and carry their suitcases, make sure they were well, doing well. She had thought, I like this young man for Becky, but because I would not have it. She never said anything to me about it, but she had been praying for seven years. I wow. think the trickle was connected to the prayer. The trickle of joy was connected to to her prayers. Um, So before I told her who I would marry, 
you know, fast forwarding these seven years, I'm telling her, I'm calling, hey, mom, you know, because he wanted to talk to my dad. Uh, she said, you're marrying Joe Keenan. How do you know? Wow. And she said, because I was praying for seven years for that to happen. So that was, I, I guess, a confirmation. Wouldn't you call it a confirmation? <laughs> well, yes, that's a confirmation, but shocking. I mean, yeah. you know, you hadn't gone on a date or anything. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's kind of the matchmaker type of a story. Uh, God was your matchmaker. You know, you you see in um, some of these old movies, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, the matchmaker comes and makes the match and the people hardly know each other. But I mean, you did know each other, but it wasn't like long engagements or courtships or dating. And it was something yeah. that you knew in your heart was right, but it was also then, a step of faith. Yeah. And, and then it, it was confirmed afterward. Yeah. It's a very interesting... I'm not saying everybody has to do it that way or should do it that way at all. You know, I'm not. Because I think it's important that you get to know each other. But within the boundaries of holiness and the rules of the ministry, to whatever extent that was, you know, we did know of each other and had worked a little bit on a few things, you know. Yeah. And of course, we did have the same beliefs and the same faith and the same calling and the same desires for the future. So that really helps. Uh if you want to serve God, please marry somebody that wants to serve God. Don't marry someone that doesn't thinking you'll convince them. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You know? I was at a mission conference oh years ago when I was still single. And uh, one of the missionaries had a quote up there and it said, love is not gazing into each other's eyes, but it's looking ahead together in the same direction. And that quote just has stuck with me all these years. Of course, my husband and I both work in ministry and, you know, it was many years after that I met my husband uh, and we got married, but that always struck me as, you know, you're right. It's not just about a bunch of silly feelings. It's working together. It's moving together in the same direction. It's having those, that same calling so that you can really serve God together as one. Right. So then after that, I moved obviously from Mexico to Houston. And that's how come I'm here. I never thought I'd live in Houston, ever. If you had asked me when I was younger or living in Puerto Rico, you know, or anything like that, Joe's not even from Houston either. He's from, you know, up north. He's from New York, you know. (laughs) And he grew up in Southern Melbourne. It's just, you know, I would say also to single people, wait on the Lord and God will, you know, move heaven and earth for you. You know, you're living in Houston. I mean, you moved from Mexico to Houston, uh, but you were still really serving in a, a poor community, starting a church, still working for the same ministry. Uh, and you saw God provide to you in some remarkable ways, sometimes even miraculous. Share some of those <laughs> stories. I mean, you know, the, the miraculous doesn't just happen overseas. That's right. Because it God happens still here moves. too. Right. And God still moves everywhere. That's the thing. Well, when we, uh, when we got married, There were other missionaries living with us at the time. We were very poor. We did not have a lot of food uh, specifically or money or cash or anything. But we continued. We were faithful to put the church first, right? Mm -hmm. And then I remember because we had a big home, uh, you know, the the saints of God, God bless them. uh, Somebody in the church met a music group and it was like four or five people. And they said, oh, come live with our pastors they'll receive you. And, you know, and these people were coming for, you know, about a week or two. We had nothing. I mean, I was at the end of everything. I mean, we just had very little. And I remember the last day we had 
nothing but a old bag of dry black beans that I found in the back of the pantry. Those things, I don't even know how old they are. They were. Yeah. Uh, thank God seeds are good for a long time, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know this is a sideline, but in Israel, they have found ancient seeds of palm dates that did not exist anymore. And they have planted them and they've come to life. So that's the power of a seed. But anyway, in this case, we wanted to cook them and eat them. I did not want to tell these people that I didn't have any more food to give them. Yeah. So we had a little tiny bit of rice and these beans and one package of pork chops. Now, growing up, my mother used to always count two pieces of meat per person, you know, and I always wanted to feed people a lot. It's just a thing, you know, you want to feed them until they're full. Yeah. And I remember rinsing those beans, taking little the little stones out of them, the dirt, you know, and all the little like pieces of debris out of them, rinsing them and all, and then cooking them. I think I had one little piece of ham or so. Oh my God, there was nothing. Maybe a little piece of onion, you know. Then when I was seasoning the pork chops, I thought, man, I wish I could give everybody two. And I had a bowl and I was, I had washed them and put them in a bowl and I had seasoned them, and then I was putting them in this other bowl. And as I transferred them, that it grew. I, I I didn't realize it exactly at the time, but I remember thinking, how odd. And then I started frying them. Uh-huh. And at the end, I had two pork chops per person. And you didn't at the beginning? No, 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 I did not. We had one package at the beginning this is a real miracle yeah uh th- this was uh, this is the one like multiplication thing that went through my hands and i'm like oh my god and oh my god. Uh, we the had... fishes and the loaves right there in your own kitchen yes yes and it was just so exciting uh, to see and and we had a, a delicious meal the beans tasted great and the rice multiplied you know everything grew and i i remember telling you know joe oh my god the pork chops multiplied I mean, God can even multiply pork. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to put it in his hands. And and that's, I think that's the lesson at the end of the day. Uh, in your moment of anxiety, don't look at the supermarket. Don't look at someone that could give you an offering or something like that. Our couch was empty. We had already looked behind all those pillows and cushions for there was no change. No, there was no change. <laughs> uh, we already knew that, but God did it. And those mm. people left so happy they never knew. And, you know, they never knew. And we will one day know in eternity all the things that God did for us, all the miracles, all the prayers people prayed, all the supernatural uh, things that, you know, God allowed to happen in order for us to just walk through a door. But we might not know. All the yeah. things our angels did for us. Yeah. I want to I want to hear all that, you know. I know I've made my angels work over time at times, but we'll, we'll know these things. We don't know now. We don't know it all. Wow. So you're working in the ministry. You planted a church, which has grown exponentially now. Along the way, you had two children. Working in ministry, sometimes children can be resentful of that. So how did you pass your faith? onto your kids uh, while you were, you know, raising them while you're still doing ministry in a difficult, difficult area. 
Right. Well, I I didn't think much about it. In a, I was I didn't we didn't I wasn't nervous about it in the sense mm-hmm. of when Joe and I got married, we continued praying early in the morning, taking a one hour break the way we did when we were trained. This is a way of life for us. Mm-hmm. So we continued doing that. When the kids came, they saw us praying. We obviously bought them Bibles and we prayed for them. Katie received the Holy Spirit when she was four. I just told her the other day, she's 27, you used to pray on this little, little carpet that we bought you and we would listen outside of your door Uh because she would kneel down and really go deep into prayer. And we were outside the door listening and crying and going, you know, just being so pleased. And we taught them, but we, we, we took them everywhere we went. And so they saw, they saw the miracle working of God. Oh yeah, and th- I mean they they were in little baby carriages on street meetings and good places and not so good places and nice cars and junky cars, you know. Yeah. We just dragged them around uh, uh, everywhere we went. They would pray and they would participate, you know, with their level of faith. Katie was a holy terror in school, always telling every preaching, uh, praying, and and also going against certain, you know, celebrations that not everybody celebrates and she would not. And then she would really tell all the kids how this is not pleasing to God and you can't partake of this at four and five because I had to put her in school when she was four. Wow. She was ready to go to school. And uh, we'd always get called from the principal and say, <laughs> can you tell Katie to not be so passionate? I'd say, well, she's sharing her faith, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I remember growing up, I I received Jesus when I was six and, you know, filled with the spirit. And during those days, you know, we would go to meetings. I would go with my parents, you know, seven, eight years old. I would go to the, I would go to these meetings, hear Derek Prince preaching and uh, some of these other men. I wasn't shuffled off to some, you know, children's church. I was there in the meeting. And when prayer happened and healings and miracles happened. I was there to see it built my faith. I remember one time I was out playing with some kids. We were playing kickball or something. And the ball came to my, came straight at my face and hit my thumb and broke it. And, you know, within seconds it was, you know, huge black and blue. I couldn't move it. I was crying. My parents came rushing out. We need to get you to the emergency room. And I said, no, no, we have to pray first. God can heal it. So we (laughs) gathered around and prayed. And while we were praying, the swelling went down, it turned back to normal color, and I could move it again. I mean, God did a miraculous healing right there, and I was six wow. or seven years old. But, you know, I was probably seven or eight years old. But, you know, those experiences, me experiencing at a young age, it, seeing and experiencing for myself the power of God. I mean, he healed my thumb, you know. You yeah. can't take that away from me. I knew. I mean, there was no mm-hmm. question that God isn't who he says he is. And right, so, and I... And- When we raise our kids in that experiencing our faith with us and experiencing the power of God, it's going to take a lot for them to turn them away. Exactly. But sometimes parents make decisions for their kids that are not, in my opinion, uh, this is my opinion and and all that, but uh, they say, should I bring my kid to the prayer meeting? They don't want to come. I say, even if your kid just sits there, they're under that cloud. They're experiencing the presence of God. They're hearing that holy uh, sound, let Mm -hmm. them be there. 
They might have a horrible attitude, but they're learning something by just being in the presence of God. There's nothing like it. You can't teach that. They can't you read can't. it in a book. They yeah. have to be there. So yeah, bring them. Recently, we had a, a very beautiful retreat and some of the people that were invited did not want to, did not want to come. And they came with a terrible attitude. I mean, mm -hmm. long faces, you could step on their faces. They were so long. And then when the time of ministry came by then the Holy spirit had worked on them Yeah. by then the word of God had worked on them by then the time of worship. So do not be that type of parent that takes a litmus test, takes a poll, takes their kid's temperature and their opinion. And that parent that's led by the child I mean, really, that is horrible. Take your place. Be the parent. Don't be afraid. You're not going to lose your kid. You're going to be investing and imparting into them. Yes, bring them to church. Yes, bring them to that meeting. Yes, make them go. Because things will happen. Things yeah. will happen. And while they live under your roof, they should do, you know, what you tell them. There were days when, you know, there are days when my kids didn't want to come to church. What I did was I never made them come to three meetings back to back. You have to also have wisdom. I would uh, let them rest and sleep in. By the time they were, I don't know, a little older, they wanted to come to all the meetings, you know, yeah. and that's what you want. So if you just have wisdom, listen to them, see, and, and all that sort of thing. But, but don't uh, shield yeah. them from the power of God because no, I or mean, act like the church is their enemy or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the church is going to eat up all your time and this and that. I remember, let me tell you a testimony. When I was in Puerto Rican church, there were two, this is a true story. There were two young men that were accepted into medical school. And one of them got up and said a testimony and said, I've been accepted to medical school. I'm so happy but I'm letting everybody know that I won't be able to come to church and be involved because I'm in medical school. That's before he started. The other one never stood up to give a testimony or didn't say anything. Everybody, you know, knew he was into medical school. He purposed in his heart that he would come as much as he could. That Sunday was the day of the Lord that, you know, all these things. And he would miss and tell the pastor, I'm not coming. I have a special test or, you know, whatever yeah. it was. And he would miss when he had to. Well, and it's funny because the one that, that said, oh, I have to be dedicated to medical school, he never graduated. The Lord didn't bless his studies. Just, right. And, and what I'm saying is, look, don't decide for God. And, you know, don't let the people make the right decisions. God is the best thing for you. Church yeah. is where your kids are going to grow up and create friends, have friends, learn the word of God. Don't go from church to church to church to church. Be strong and give your strength to somebody because in your day of need, that pastor, those people, they're going to help you. Yeah, and, and it changes. I mean, you and I are both testimonies of encountering God when we were young. I strayed when I was in my teenage years a little bit and my listeners who've listened to a few of these have heard of that, you know, but, but I never ever questioned that God is who he says he was. And I always knew that I would follow his leading. The wages of sin are horrible. And I very little bit of sin would make me feel terrible. It quickly turned me back to the Lord. So when we and, have and that see, encounter with holiness, we're drawn back to it easily because it's sweet. It's not legalistic. It's not condemning. It's a sweet fragrance. It's yeah. life. 
So when, when kids hear the word of God, when you share with them and all this sort of thing, we used to pray for our kids every day before they went to school, you know, that can become tedious for the child. Oh, here you go again. You want to pray mm-hmm. for, you know, and then the day you don't, they're like, Hey, you didn't pray. So it, it, you're like sowing into them. But, um, sometimes we don't know where God is. Let me tell you a story. This is a story of a Catholic saint. I can't remember what, who it was, but the story goes that at night she would have these terrible dreams, like, like, you know, like, like carnal dreams. And she would be so tormented and grieved and this and that, say, God, why am I having these dreams? And she felt the Holy Spirit say, are you fighting? Do you enjoy them? Or are you mortified? And she said, no, I'm, I'm grieved. I'm mortified. Cause she kept saying, where are you? Where are you? And God said, I am in that, that rejection of it. So mm-hmm. when we teach our children the word of God or ourselves, and then we go through something, we sin or, you know, something bad happens, we have that point of reference of, like you said, the pure sweetness, that holiness of God. We've experienced that. And yeah, we might feel rotten, but that's where God is. He's in that conviction. He's in that pull. He's in that rope of love, those cords of love that bring you back. Mm. He is in that feeling, not of condemnation, but yeah, we might feel some shame and say, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. I, I need you. I'll go back to my father's house, but see, they have that reference. So parents be encouraged, give your kids that reference. And, and even Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's older, he he won't depart. Yeah. So they'll have that reference. I, yeah. And I, I think many, many uh, parents cling to that verse. I know I've used that in praying, uh, praying for family members that, you know, when they're trained up in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from them. And it doesn't mean that they'll never stray, but they'll always, like you said, they'll always come back to the father's house because yes, that's where their life is. That's where life is. So over the years, God has taken you to many, many nations, allowed you to minister in all sorts of different contexts. Uh, share one or two things that God's done that have been surprising to you. Well, to me, everything is a surprise because I can't believe I'm doing anything. (laughs) I feel like I'm Forrest Gump, you know, like, uh, what am I doing in this movie of my life? One time I was in Puerto Rico doing a water mission with people from Israel. It's amazing. What's a water mission? It's when you go to a a, a city or a town that doesn't have potable water, drinking water. All right. And uh, the mission is to give them drinking water. And we are building a sand and gravity type of a well and purifying system for this particular place. That's what was best for them. Mm -hmm. And that was the investment. So um, I was on this mission. Um, All my clothing was for a tropical island, was to be out in the countryside, you know, tennis shoes, jeans, T-shirts, that type of thing. And, uh, the, the first day it started with the, uh, a meeting at a restaurant, welcoming everybody. So I was there, I had gotten early to see my family and I get a phone call and it was from Washington DC. And it said that it was from the white house and that the president wanted, you know, for me to come to a meeting. So I immediately hung up. You're on a mission to dig, basically dig water wells and well, you and get I a call this from the white a- house. <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't that it was a, that I was at the mission. It's just that I did. I just thought it was a prank. So they called again, and uh, I, this restaurant happened to be very loud. So I walked f- further out to here, and I'm just going, "Nah, I, I know this. You know, this is a prank." And I hung up again, 
And then on the third time when they called, I thought, let me go outside, put it on speakerphone and text a friend of mine in Washington and ask her if she thinks it might not be a prank. You know, I thought, do they do this? You know, that they would call and she texted back. I'm sure it's not a prank. Answer the call. (laughs) So long story short, it turned out to be the White House. Wow. And it turned out to be an invitation from the president to come to the White House for some private meetings. That in and of itself was, uh, you know, it was a testimony because I had no proper clothing uh, to go see, you know, our commander in chief. And I was not about to go in there in a not dressed appropriately. I was able to fly out that same night at like two o'clock at 2 a.m. flight. I, I stopped, I had a stop, a layover in Florida. And at the airport, uh, I was able to get, I remember it was cold in, in, in D.C. I was able to buy tights. And on the way up, I was able to buy, to go to someone's house that the Lord put in my way. And she had a beautiful blazer that went all the way down to the exact length of the hem of my dress. Wow. It was like custom for me because I, I told the Lord in the airplane, but I don't want to go without a blazer. I want to, I want to have a jacket, a blazer. And as we were walking out of this uh, Christian leader's home, she said, oh, on the piano bench, look, uh, there's that. Do you want try it on? And it was, I'm telling you, it was custom made for me. Wow. Uh, my size, beautiful. So I felt very confident going into that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was all the Lord. Even my suitcase was borrowed. Everything was borrowed. I had another coat for, for on top of that, that another friend of mine who was on that water mission, uh, she's a beautiful Jewish uh, friend of mine. She said, I have no clue why I brought this to Puerto Rico. It's a Burberry coat. It makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, I was packing it. I was thinking, why are you bringing this coat? But she lent it to me and it it also fit me perfect. So I felt like a million bucks, but none of it was mine. <laughs> it was all the Lord. <laughs> that's one of the crazy things, strange things that's happened to me. An agricultural mindset or, you know, water mindset. Yeah. And, and this happened. So well, God yeah. will use us when we are available to him and submitted to him, he will use us in remarkable ways that surprise us just like that. That surprised you. Wow. It did. That is a surprising call. (laughs) Yeah. God's been very kind to me, very gentle in his training. And Mm -hmm. um, at times he's been very strict and and I've even felt, you know, the hand of God kind of like squeeze you a little bit. But throughout every experience, I think you hit it on the head. It's about being willing and just like Peter, you know, when they're out in that boat, who wants to come out and walk? I'll come, Lord. You know, I just, just to, to be adventurous in your faith and, and say yes to God. Yeah. Um, just recently, I went to Guatemala and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not for or against anything uh, about this vaccine that came out recently during the pandemic, but I'm not vaccinated. And the president of the country wrote a letter so I could go into the country. That's wow. those are my Forrest Gump moments, you know. When yeah. I feel, I think, what am I doing? And I was wondering, what am I even doing here, Lord? Uh, how, how, you know, your great. It has to be your grace, and all the glory goes to you. Really, Amen. really, and truly. So, so talking about the vaccine. I mean, COVID. You know, we've all 
gone through two years of craziness related to COVID. It's taken a real toll on people around the world. I mean, people have died. People have gotten very sick. Others have been fairly unaffected, but you personally were affected and God intervened. Can you share that story, that testimony? I mean, it was, you know, a profound thing in your life. I was very excited to have amazing guests from Israel come. And I came down positive with the COVID-19 when it was the Delta strain, not mm. not the Omicron. But I was sure being the positive person that I am, that I was going to kick it, you know, and lick it and I was, you know, going to be fine. And I wouldn't even cancel these people. And then I realized I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Long story short, I went to the emergency room here in a very good hospital. And I had to wait so long to even be seen. They would not give me the monoclonal antibodies, which I did qualify for. My husband kept saying, you know, but she is within the days and this, that, the other. They wouldn't and sent me home with paperwork that I would read only later because we were exhausted that day. Yeah. Exhausted. I almost walked out. Uh, Sent me home with a double pneumonia, the beginning of pneumonia in both of my lungs and never told me. I went home and continued, uh, isolated myself and then continued to decline. And uh, finally, one day... My husband asked me, well, are you going to die at home or are we doing something else? You know, is this it? I really don't like hospitals and I don't like taking medicine. But that's that's not pandemic. That's pre-pandemic and that's been all my life. And uh, so I really didn't want to go to a hospital or anything like that. And uh, then I called a spiritual son who's a doctor and he said, well, Pastor Becky, if you don't go, not just go to the hospital, but go in the ambulance right now, you're going to die because it's not that your oxygen levels levels are low. You've been on an oxygen machine at home and that's not doing it. So that's it. So I went, by then my legs were completely swollen, my ankles, I couldn't walk. I could not even take a step without falling. Mm. Uh, I was in a real bad condition. So I get to the hospital, they check me in. This is a different hospital where they treated me a little bit better. And my husband's parked outside, my daughter's with me. And he thought, well, thank God she's here and everything's going to be okay. Well, little did we know that the doctor that was on call in the emergency room that day had this terrible attitude towards people that were not vaccinated. There's just no other way I could finesse it. Mm. That's what it was. And I remember Katie, I was in the hallway and I said, I don't want to be in the hallway. And I told Katie, pray. And she prayed very loudly. And as soon as she said, amen, we got a consult room, you know, like a a little examining room. And I was wheeled in by the guys that had brought me in the, with the ambulance. So I was so grateful to be in that room because I had a little privacy. Um, And I was there And uh, anyway, long story short, it was terrible. I ended up getting, after many hours, I got a CAT scan with contrast. And when the results came in, the doctor, the same doctor that was in the emergency room, came to the room, crossed his legs, crossed his arms in front of his chest, leaned back in the most arrogant and wicked way and looked at me and my daughter. You need to understand, I'm on a, I am on a, on a cot or whatever it is. And I, uh, I have oxygen 
because that's why I came in because I can't breathe. Mm. And he said, your lungs are shot with the attitude. <laughs> your lungs are shot and it's going to take, and, and if you make it, you'll be in rehab for months at some, you know, facility. Uh, what flashed through my mind initially was lung transplant. Am I going to need a lung transplant? But his demeanor was just so negative and so bad. Now, this young boy from my church, that's a doctor, mm-hmm. had said, uh, write this down. And, I, you know, I had in a little paper, like five or six things that could have been given to a patient such as myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to each one, he'd say, no, 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 no. To the point that he left, and then the nurse that came in, a Christian nurse from San Antonio, because remember they were traveling and going, serving in different hospitals. Yeah. She looked at the computer, and on my record, this man had given an order of no liquids, no IV, no food, nothing. What? Yes. And when the nurse brought it to our attention, that's when I realized, because from the ambulance, I already had the needle on my hand but I wasn't hooked up to anything by then the guys had left you know yeah and I I thought that is so weird this guy is is horrible I told my daughter call your father and tell him to get Pedialyte and Katie brought it into my room and I'm chugging Pedialyte between breaths with oxygen Mm. but before that uh, when the man had come in he was so negative and it was, it turned into from negative to hateful to, it was demonic. Yeah. And it just dawned on me, wait a minute, this has a spiritual uh, aspect to it. Yeah. And I told him, get out of the room, get out, just get out of my room. And he left and I told Katie, pray and cancel every negative word this man has spoken over me. So we prayed and Katie sounded like a little cat. She was purring and praying and speaking in tongues, you know, and canceling with such a sense of urgency because I thought I'm under his authority and I'm not going to allow him to speak death over me, basically. At one point I told him, what do you want me to do? Check out and die? What do you want me to do? But it was a spiritual battle. So we prayed, canceled at 3 a.m. Katie had to go. She left. I said goodbye to her like it was my last time to see her. She said goodbye to me as well. Her father and her drove home. It was horrible. My son had COVID. He was at the house. But that night, in the middle of the darkest night of my life, a lovely lady from my church uh, had a dream in Colombia, called me through WhatsApp and texted me a whole dream that she'd had that I was in anguish, pacing in a room. A man dressed in white came in, hugged me, and spoke to my ear and said, everything is going to be all right. Mm. My husband had gone home thinking he'd become a widow, went into a prayer closet, literally, because I found the chair in the closet, and said, God, I never come to the place of desperation. I'm there today. Give me a word. Give me a stone that I can hurl at this giant. Give me something. And the words to a song that she he had heard on the radio, uh, KSBJ came to him, and part of the song said, and everything's going to be all right. At mm. 6 a.m., when they go back to the hospital, my son, who's been in the room, says, Dad, last night I went through all my iPhones, and on some old iPhone, I found this song that I wrote. It says, take me to the river, a place where I could pray, la, 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 and everything is going to be okay. To Joe, it was two confirmations. By the time they got to the hospital, I had mine, same word. And when when my daughter told me, 
the song my son wrote and everything's going to be key. The rainbow word that my husband got in prayer, everything's going to be okay. And the word from the dream that this Colombian believer sent me through WhatsApp, everything's going to be okay. I knew that I wasn't going to die and I knew it. And that night, another thing that had happened was that my spirit had prayed, 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 sang, worshiped. My memory, uh, my, remember my body's weak, but my, my spirit remembered every part of every song. I was just worshiping and praying and interceding. So I want to say, get filled with the spirit, but get filled with the word of God, because in your, on your evil day, your spirit will stand up for you Amen. and will use every single scripture that you have inserted into your heart and your mind. It was just, it was really cool actually, because I was so weak, but my spirit kind of took over. So when Katie came that day, something had broken in the atmosphere, you know, like that darkness. And then in the morning when the doctors came for their rounds, they were completely different. They put me in a room. And after that, it was club med, my dear club Mm. med. I was on regular diet. I asked Joe to bring me all the stuff that I always wanted to read and never have time to, uh, to read, um, like medieval iconography stuff that I know weird, (laughs) but I love to read about stuff like that and all kinds of history and books and Bible and whatnot. And I had a club med week. Um, by Friday I went to the bathroom and I took my oxygen off and I forgot to put it back on because I was reading something. And the nurse came in and said, what are you, what are you doing? You don't have oxygen. And then I thought, oh my God. And she said, wait, let me check your levels. I was perfectly fine. And I called Joe and I said, Joe, the house better be clean because I am coming home. Because I felt the grace of God to be there go up, off. It just went boop. Like I had grace to be there and suddenly I didn't. It's like, poop. And sure enough, I mean, he was trying to encourage me. Oh, Becky, I don't want to put, you know, I want to discourage you, but I know you're going to be there for more than a week. And I said, no, no, you better clean, start cleaning the kitchen. Cause I know you guys. And <laughs> sure enough, I went home. I went home. It was Amen. all God. It was all God. I mean, you've had a life of miracles, you know, from the very beginning up until now, you've seen God working in your life because you have thrown yourself on his mercy and he always comes through. You know, Becky, as a pastor and a minister, you encounter people in every stage of their faith walk. And what message do you think is most needed by believers today? What truths have you found necessary in your walk with the Lord that you can pass on to others who are, you know, going through this? this life today in our crazy world. I would have to say that in spite of whatever you feel and actually see and are literally going through, uh, I validate all those things. It's true. You're going through a hard time and suffering is a real thing. Uh, But so is God. So is God. And in spite of any disappointments, you cannot on your darkest day and your deepest pit, turn your back against the only one that can get you out of there. We are so tempted many times to lift up our fist in the face of God when we're in pain. You know, when a dog is in pain or hurt, whatever, they might bite you. And there's a lot of people out there that are biting God and that are biting people of faith and biting, you know, and and angry against scripture, angry against anything that has to do with faith because they've been hurt and disappointed. But that 
disappointment and hurt does not take away one bit from who God is. Mm. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says, the eternal God is our refuge and beneath are the everlasting arms. And what I always picture myself as maybe falling deep in a disappointing, you know, manner. Maybe you're, you're, you can't believe you are where you're at. Maybe you're just so shocked that your life has taken a horrible turn. But if you look down, God is there with you. Mm. The everlasting arms are even lower than whenever you're at. Some people think I cannot be forgiven. I cannot be restored. I cannot possibly come back to God. I've just heard him so much or, you know, like I say, lifted my fist against him. But you can look further down and his arms are there, not for you to keep falling, but to lift you up. The eternal God is your refuge and beneath you are the everlasting arms. It doesn't say if you believe it. It doesn't say anything like that. It says they just are. God just is. And that's just like Celine Dion says, that's the way it is. You know, God is God. And there's no point. Look, there's another thing I want to say to people. Life is made up of time. Quit wasting time. Quit wasting life and being bitter or trying to enjoy something that'll kill you in the end or live a life turning your back towards God when one day you're going to die and you're going to face him. We're all going to die. You know, it's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. We're all going to die. Don't waste your life not being curious about what plan he has for you. Because however great your plan is, God's is mind-blowing better. And I had an idea. I wanted to be a doctor. Who doesn't want to be a doctor? Who doesn't want to make a lot of money? Who doesn't want to enjoy their career? I could picture myself doing all those things. And yet God's plan was so completely different. My life has, I can say it took a turn. Oh, and I couldn't go back. My parents took all that money for college and gave it to the church. She said, a second (laughs) insurance for you to stay in the ministry. (laughs) We have to make a decision to, if you don't know God or you're not churched or you're unreligious or an atheist even, or an agnostic, you know, you do need to give God an opportunity in your life because it's, you're not giving it to God. You're giving it to yourself. If you say you don't believe, I'll tell you one thing. That's not true. God gives everybody a little measure of faith. Maybe you're using your faith and applying it to the wrong thing. Uh, try Jesus with that little measure of faith you have and miracles will happen. And you will see the supernatural. God is supernatural. You are an eternal being. One day you will live forever either in the presence of God, or if you choose to turn your back to him in this life, then it's only fair that you go to a place where you don't get to live with him. And that's called fairness because we live in a society that wants to be fair. Hmm. Well, that is fair, but you have a chance. You're alive. You're listening to this. Somebody sent it to you. Somebody talked to you about this message, this podcast that this lady has and invites this other nut lady to talk on her (laughs) podcast, you know, Well, let me tell you, God loves you. Um, He's real. And go to the one who can untangle you. Go to the one who loves you unconditionally. I mean, wow. Who is that? That's Jesus. Becky, as we close, I always ask uh, my guests if there's a woman in the Bible whose story inspired or encouraged or 
or taught you something. I'm sure there's many, many, but yeah. someone that comes to mind now and how her story relates to yours. Can you share that? Well, in Genesis 24, there's Rebecca, and that happens to be my name. And that was the chapter God used to call me for the ministry whenever I was 14 years old. If you read that chapter, read it homework, Genesis 24, <laughs> you'll see that you have a man that's going out to find a bride. And when he finds this girl, he doesn't know that's her name, finds her, everything she starts doing, she does it in haste. She ran. She quickly uh, drew the water, which was a lot of water for all these camels. Camels drink a lot of water. And this girl was volunteering to do all this for this uh, stranger. And uh, then God blessed her quickly. And she went back and married, you know, Isaac. Uh, that chapter uh, really impacted my life because it showed that Slow obedience is no obedience. Mm. That's one thing I used to tell my kids too. When God speaks to you, it's a privilege when the God who created all things speaks to any of us in your heart, in your mind, through scripture, a song, a time of worship, a retreat in your car. Look, it's a privilege when you feel that presence of God or that little trickle you know, in your mind. Respond to the Lord. And the way we grow is through obedience. And Rebecca obeyed, 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 and she was blessed. And uh, and the blessing at the end says, may you be the mother of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, you know, many generations. And that's what she was. And I've seen uh, the Lord take my life that is very insignificant. I'm not special in any way, uh, but God has used me to bless multitudes of people and only in heaven we'll all know what we actually did for him. But I just encourage people to do what Rebecca did. Listen and hasten. Be quick to obey. Uh, some people say, why doesn't God bless me? I want things fast. Well, do you obey him fast? Mm. Fast obedience sometimes, you know, brings a faster blessing. And that's what I've seen, you know, in my life. Some things hit me quicker. Others are on the way. And as I believe they're on the way, I bless them with my mouth. I thank God. I praise them in faith. That's the faith life. It's trusting God completely. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then scripture lists a bunch of examples of people who acted in faith. In that same chapter, verses 13 through 16, it says, all these people, all the people that we just read, you know, are, are in that Hebrews uh, 11, all these people were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I would say, you know, this earthly life, it's not our destination. Like, like you've, you know, intimated, Becky, we're headed for a heavenly home. And as believers, we need to embrace that long view. If we live only for today, we are missing so much. God can give us a new perspective and he wants to. He wants to give us that heavenly perspective so that when we're looking around at the challenges, the temporary things that we're going through, we know it's not the end. And as believers, we've got to embrace that long view and walk by faith, keeping our eyes yes. on Jesus. And then... Mm -hmm. As that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, declares, the things of this yeah. earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
The only way we can suffer and go through trials and difficulties is if we have an eternal vision. Yeah. And suffering is part of life. Uh, this world is not our home, like you said. And that's a message that's not too popular, but it's real. Think of Richard Wormbrand, tortured for Christ, yeah. in prison in a terrible gulag. They have nothing to eat but this deplorable soup that's nothing but water and who knows what. And they had a day of fasting. And they would abstain from nutrition, which could have killed them because they didn't even ingest enough calories. They suffered uh, serving the Lord because they stood up for him in a communist regime. They were beaten and how could they endure this inhumane, hateful treatment? Yeah. Some of them died young in their, uh, look at Watchman Nee, because they had a heavenly vision, because mm -hmm. their home is not down here. And, and we ought to preach this from the mountaintops, from the pulpits to our young people who seem to be so aimless sometimes and hopeless. We need to give them the true vision, yeah. that heavenly vision, that new Jerusalem, that place where we go, the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm well, excited. I'm encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to, to our podcast here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who hears the sound of our voice or who is going to get this message as a, as a secondary message through someone's mouth that repeats what we've shared. Father, open our eyes to real treasures, to reality, the reality of eternity and our place in it. Make us very curious and hungry for your purpose and your will. Psalms 138 verse 8 says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. Forget not the work of your hands, Lord, and your mercy. And I thank you for each one because Father, salvation is for everyone who hears and believes. And that belief triggers uh, so many things in our life. Lord, for those who might be stuck on a sin or entangled in a terrible way. Thank you that you are detangler. Lord, there's no mess that we could have uh, gotten ourselves into that you cannot fix. So we come to you in humility, in acknowledgement, in repentance. And we say, Lord, we are sorry. We turn our back to evil and just turn around and now decide to walk towards you. In Jesus' mighty name, who died and gave all of us for us took our place on the cross that we might live. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you can find links to the scriptures and other helpful information. And don't forget to sign up for periodic emails and download the free devotional that's on Women of the Bible. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. So give us a call anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you use. And we'd love for you to share the story with friends who might enjoy it. Be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss another episode. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing adapted from Psalm 119, verses 33 through 35. May God teach you the way of his decrees so you can follow them. May he give you understanding so you can keep his law, obey it with all your heart, and live. May he direct you in the path of his commands, for there you will find delight. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.